Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. You know that verse where it says, my falling soul. He caught my falling soul. Brother Jason was talking about hell in Sunday school and how you're alone. And remember Brother Branham saying, there was no foundation or nothing there. You were just falling and falling. But he reached down his hand, caught my falling soul. Amen. He's the greatest athlete there ever was. Amen. I don't know where that came from, but it's true. He caught your falling soul. Amen. If you have a request this morning, you know, I have a request. My son-in-law is going to be traveling with my grandson back to Montana, my home away from home. I'm just... It's in the past, but it was good while it lasted. Amen. And we just have a request upon your heart. Just make it known with uplifted hand this morning. Remember your loved ones. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you this morning. And every morning, noon and night, Father, I love you. I thank you for what you've done, your plan of salvation, redeeming your people, Father. And Lord, let us walk in the faith and the power of that redemption that you purchased. Lord, we're not tossed aside wind the doctrines, but we're marching to Zion. We're looking unto you, the author and finisher of our faith this morning. And Lord, as we look to a glass darkly because of these mortal bodies we're in, but what waits for us, Father? is just so glorious as our brother spoke our perspective will change we will no have longer a sinful nature to cloud our view i praise you jesus i thank you for the victory in all things lord bless your people today bless the song service break the bread of life to us father as we collect the tithes and offerings father i pray that you bless the cheerful giver we want to remember those that maybe couldn't be here and are streaming, that you would bless them mightily, Father. Lord, we thank you for all that you do, for the grace that is sufficient for the tasks that we have in front of us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning, amen. If you want to know where I'm going, where I'm going soon, anybody ask you?
take the pain Heartache it brings The comfort in knowing Soon be gone As God gives me grace Run this Savior face to face
you turn into wine open the eyes of the blind there's no one like you none like you into the darkness you shine out of the ashes we rise there's no
want you to turn and greet your brother and sister this morning, amen. Amen. Not just the one right behind you, but go back a couple of rows. Let's get out of our comfort zone a little bit, amen. Just walk around a little bit, amen. God bless you, God bless you. Give me a key of G, amen. Oh, let us walk, blessed Lord, in the way thou hast gone, leading straight to the land above. Oh, give me cheer everywhere to the sad and the long. Fill my way every day with love.
before you seated, let's sing. We'll be happy over there. Everybody will be happy over there. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Sister Sarah, man, if you come, give us a song this morning. <clears throat> let's give Sister Sarah a hand. sleep and uh, I went days weeks without hardly any sleep at all and I had come up here and got prayed for last Sunday and I felt the Lord when I went back to my seat I felt a presence come near me and it's like it went shoof. and I knew at that moment I was like I'm going to sleep tonight <laughs> well I went home went to bed that night I couldn't sleep tossed and turned all night long could not sleep and I was like Lord I know I felt your presence what, what is going on here and next morning I was so tired I had to get up for work and I was literally crying I looked at my husband and I said I can't keep going like this I said I've got to have some sleep so I texted a group of people and I said you've got to pray for me because if I can't get sleep I can't go to camp I said I'm so tired I said I can't even think straight half the time well they started praying and that night I went to bed and I slept so good. And the next night I went to bed and I slept so good. And the next night I went to bed and I slept so good. And I've been sleeping so good since then. And I'm so thankful that the Lord touched me. If you've never gone without sleep, you don't know what it's like. And maybe this sounds foolish to some people, but if you've been there, you know. And I'm so grateful that the Lord has helped me. And I just wanted to give him praise for that this morning. <clears throat> Once upon his back he knew This was the beginning of the end With every fragile step he grew More and more determined to finish it the world saw a man with a tree on his back and they laughed. But God saw his son who he loved carry more than But he counted me. 
up a love offering this morning if you could just play something for me softly and by Luther if you want to just make your way in a moment just have a few things <clears throat> to announce as well um, we're going to be taking up a special love offering this morning uh, those of you that um, want to give something today you just want to make sure that you uh, earmark it in some way don't if you put uh, make sure you put it in an envelope <clears throat> or if you're going to give online through the uh, PayPal uh, we also have a direct link you can get to give directly to the PayPal that's connected to the Bethel Youth Camp Fund. And so we're thankful. Uh, we know the Lord will provide. Amen. He always does. He's always faithful to do that. So if the Lord put it upon your heart to give something today, we want to give you that opportunity. Um, Brother Luther would be coming at this time just to do that. Also, um, just a few announcements, and that is uh, we will be loading up 
uh, all of the equipment and things going to camp at 3.30 sharp today. So if you're planning to be here to help, we're going to try to start that as on time uh, as we can. I know we announced to the brothers, Brother Tony's going to be uh, doing haircuts today, starting at 4.30. So we want to not cut into that. We want to be loaded up. If we have a lot of help, um, I expect it to take, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, um, Lord willing, <laughs> it would only take that long. We do have large items and then small items. So if you feel like my backs, I'm not good for that. I'm my hip, my back, my knee, my shoulder, whatever it is. We have small items for you that uh, you can um, you can pick up. And it, I promise just you being there will be helpful. Uh, you know, even if you're just a cheerleader, uh, it'll be helpful for you to be there. Um, that just means if you can't, absolutely can't lift anything, then cheer on those who will. Um, That'll be at 3.30 sharp today. Brother Tony and other brothers will be at the budget truck organizing the load up. We've asked for uh, a blanket. Sister Brenda brought those. And so we also, if anybody has any ratchet straps, we could sure use as many. Um, there we'll, we'll, we'll need to strap some things. Also, last announcement is the meeting uh, with our pastor. Uh, for everybody who's going to camp from the church in any capacity at all. It's real urgent or important, I should say, to be there uh, for that meeting. That will happen as brief. It will happen about 20 minutes. Um, sorry, it'll, it'll take about 15 or 20 minutes, but it will happen directly after the dismissal. So if we dismiss at the end of the service today um, and you need to leave to use the restroom or get a refreshment, please try to quickly come back in so that we're not waiting. We won't start Starting the meeting until we know everybody's in here. You love the Lord? Amen. Amen. Let's just um, sing together. Brother, Brother Luther, if you'd come. Are you coming now? Sorry? Okay, he's already done it while I was talking. All right, praise the Lord. We're going to change the order of the service now. I'll turn it back over to Brother Tony. Because he lives, I can face because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the fear Let's just close our eyes as Brother Jason comes and worship. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love. Heal and forgive. Savior, please. 
today. I want to have a, a special prayer as we um, go to read our scripture, and um, we'll just pray first, actually. I want to pray for Sister Debbie, who's not feeling well today. So, um, per the rules, I've made her stay home, <laughs> but she, she has been suffering since yesterday, and she's um, hoping to just rest and be fully recovered by camp. I'd just rather her be recovered today. Amen. Amen. So, I fall apart pretty quickly when she's and she goes down. Amen. So she's hardly ever sick. So uh, the devil just trying to uh, sneak an attack in. We also have a very urgent request to pray for Sister Erica Parker. Um, got an urgent request actually from Brother Tim Pruitt saying that, um, urgent, please go to prayer. Sister Erica's condition is desperate. He then posted an update. Um, yesterday, Sister Erica had a pancreatic attack, making it a pretty rough day. She is now being given comfort care and placed on uh, Dilaudid, a powerful pain medication. She has called Brother Donnie to her bedside this morning. Things are desperate, but not hopeless. Against hope, we believe in hope. Like sons of Abraham, we believe. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's go to prayer. Father, we're thanking you for your love this morning. Thanking you for the wonderful spirit of worship, Lord, that we could sense in the back room. Thank you for our wonderful Sunday school class today. And now we come to this portion of our day, Lord, that we've set aside to come around your family, to come into the house of God. Lord, we, we don't, I don't come here to be a to become a Christian. I'm already a Christian. I, I come here for strength that I need. 
that we come together, Lord, for the strength that we need. And if there's some who don't know you, then I pray today they will know you in a very real way. I pray that you will help us in the word. And Lord, we ask the prayer for Sister Debbie this morning and that you would lay your hand of mercy upon her, Lord. You, you know what it takes for her to miss church. She just doesn't do it, Lord. And so she felt so bad this morning, and I'm just asking you for your mercy for her. Now, we pray together for her. Lord, we lift up Sister Erica Parker. We join with the churches around the world, Lord, who have petitioned you much on behalf of this sister. And we so desire that you would bring her back, oh God, from the enemy trying to take her life, Lord. And he will if you don't intervene, Lord. She can't live in this kind of condition. But we're appealing to you for mercy. We're asking you to come on the scene even right now, oh God, and move on her behalf. I pray that you'll bless your word today. Bless speaker and hearer of your word Father, I commit myself into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friends. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 22. Praise the Lord. I'm really excited for camp coming up, and uh, I just know, I believe the Lord is going to do great things for us. Amen. Matthew 22, and we're going to catch 34 through 40. And then I've got another scripture we'll go to, but I'm going to let you be seated after we read this. Amen. <clears throat> but when the Pharisees heard, had heard that Jesus had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, and this is a, a, a student of the law. It's not like an attorney like we would have today. It's a student of the law. Then when one of them, which was a lawyer, an expert in the law, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Keep your Bibles handy. Uh, we'll go um, to John 16 momentarily. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> and I just covet your undivided waiting for the commotion to stop. We get a legitimate exodus from the platform, but we get a unfavorable exodus from the building uh, right as I seat the people, and I'd sure like to see that stop. Amen. I know it can be done. I raised my children that way. They went to the restroom when they arrived at church, and they didn't go again and didn't need to go again. 
until the service was concluded. And if they had an urgent emergency, I would always let them go. But it wasn't, you know, this idea of just an automatic thing. So I'd like to see that stop. like to see parents bring that under a tighter regulation. And goodness sake, let's not have parents doing it. Amen. <clears throat> All right? I ask your prayer for me this morning. I've got a rather unusual approach to this sermon today, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just be very studious, and I really covet your undivided attention. Um, we're going to go into some areas today, and I just want to be very careful how I cover it. I don't want to give the wrong impression. What I'm, the impression I'm trying to avoid is that I'm up here preaching Christian psychology. I want to avoid you thinking that, all right? Because I don't, that's not what I'm going to be doing today, but I am going to be doing some comparison between Christian psychology and real faith. Brother Branham did that, just in case you don't know, in wisdom versus faith, all right? Amen? So I'm, I'm right in the line and order of the prophet, okay? All right. So according to Jesus here, he is saying that the first great commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, then he comes to a second one, and I want to propose to you today that the second commandment, you'll notice that Jesus says it's like unto. So in other words, it's related to the first. So I want you now, if you can grasp that, I want you to go one more step and realize that it's really a continuation of the first. It's an outcropping of the first. It's a harvest of the first. It's a result of the first. It's a continuation of the first. All right? So it's not like a second separate rule that you say, well, I can get one, but I don't know about that second one. If you don't have the second one, you don't have the first one. Amen? Is that easy? If you don't have the second one, you don't have the first one. And so Jesus ties these two together, and he doesn't even go into lying and murder and adultery and idolatry and all these different things. He doesn't even visit the Ten Commandments other than right here. And he says, on this one thing and its natural continuation, hang all the law and the prophets. This is everything the law was designed to achieve. This is everything the prophets taught. This is not only what they taught, but they lived. All right? So according to James, <clears throat> we're not going to turn to it today, but in, I've just got one verse. In James 2.8, which is familiar, you'll recognize it, uh, James tells us, uh, you know, how that, how that, there's a royal law. Um, I, I probably should turn you to it. Give me James 2.8, Brother Mark. I'm sorry to jump you uh, by surprise, but let's, let's have that just so I can fit that in. Amen. <clears throat> Let me make one quick adjustment here. So, 
So sometimes people laugh at me because I'm the guy who has backups to my backups of my backups. <laughs> and so today, technology was weird, weird. And so me being me, I made a backup in a different place. And since my first one isn't working, now I'm on my backup. <laughs> so, you know, the Jesus saves. Brother Jason saves, I back up. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> James 2.8, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. So, so we realize that James here is, is calling Jesus' second addition or Jesus' addendum or his add-on to the first commandment upon which all the law and prophets hang. And James is now going to label that. That's the royal law. So because of this being true, it's the royal law of God's kingdom. So then we would call it then, and I would be able to say today, it's a royal man, it's a manifestation of the royal family. Am I connecting the dots? I'm not going too fast, am I? All right. So we've come from the one law upon which all the prophets and, and, and all the law and everything was founded upon, and that is there's nothing more important or even to be mentioned other than this. This is the cure-all that will cure all and deliver all and make the royal family live like the royal family is if you love the Lord God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. Amen. All right? All right, so it, so it becomes a royal manifestation. It is not sufficient. Jesus talks about this, that there are people in his day and there are people in our day who honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. And that is a, a problem that would only be exacerbated with the burgeoning of humanity across the world for the last 2,000 years. And we go from so many millions and then a billion and then two and then three and four and five, six, seven and approaching eight billion. So that, that issue would only increase. And in fact is, Paul told us that it would be not just acute at the last day, but it would be, and the reason it would be so, so perilous is because it would be personified in the masses of humanity that they would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power. Amen. That, 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 that they would have a form of godliness, but they would, and Brother Branham said that means they deny the real realities they don't really allow Christ to come in and change their life. Amen. Amen. You know, it's, it, it's, it's just ironic. And so, so now that if you really do love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, then, then you, are, you, are, you are at the beginning properly you have started the race that Paul spoke of and now you can accomplish great things 
for God's kingdom because you'll manifest that fact that your heart, not just your lips, but your heart loves God. And you've dedicated your whole soul and your whole mind, which means you've made him the center of everything you do. He's not a sidebar. I, I can tell who makes God a, who makes Christ a sidebar by their church attendance. Their Christianity is a Christianity of convenience, and if it can work out and everything can be convenient, then I'll 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 act and do, and you'll think I'm a Christian. But if it if it cramps my style hinders my schedule or keeps me from chasing my own personal dreams and my own agenda, then, you know, I'm not going to appear as fervent. And the amazing thing is God just lets you do that. See, Israel, I'm going to tell you what happens. Israel asked for those quail. They were tired of the bread. And And the Bible says God granted it to them but added leanness to their soul. So chase your own dreams at your own peril. I'm not saying you're not a child of God. I'm saying he's not the center of your life. You're not, you're, you're, and therefore your manifestation shows he's not the center of your life. Now, am I, am I condemning you? Well, I, the Holy Ghost doesn't condemn so much as he convicts. And I hope that if, if that's you today, maybe you're streaming and maybe there'll be a little tinge of conviction and you'll say to yourself, if you don't say anything else, you might not even say it out loud, but you just say, I'm going to change that. Amen. How many have had that happen? I've had things where I just observed wrong within myself and I just said to myself, that's not going to be a part of me and I'm going to change that. And, I, and the only way I can is more surrender because the Lord will change that for me, see. So I don't want to make you mad and you cut me off right at the beginning. So just stay right with me, please. I'm trying to help us today. So it's a, the royal law produces a manifestation that identifies the royal family. Remember, it's all about identification. So therefore, the first great commandment is to love him with all your heart and soul and mind. And the second is akin to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And the second law is called the royal manifestation in my own, in my own way of saying it. So it, it's something that will be evident uh, in the lives of those who are part of the royal family, those who truly love God with all their mind, soul, and their heart. And, and they hold him as first in their lives. All right, now we're going to go, Brother Mark, to John 16. Now Jesus knew, verse 19, I'm sorry, John 16, 19 to 24. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while and you shall not see me again a little while and you shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you that Ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. You're seeing that on the world scene today. You're seeing the ungodly rejoice, and you're seeing the godly in sorrow. See? And, and you're, you're, you're finding, he says, but don't worry, your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, he's going to give an analogy that every woman who's had a child can relate to. A woman... When she's in travail, hath sorrow. That's no joke. That's for real. Because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, I watched this happen to my wife three times. 
I, it was like magic. I couldn't believe it. And, and I was thinking about this scripture. That, that, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And I literally watched her go from pain and suffering and crying and agony. And as soon as the child was delivered and handed to her joy and smiles and, and, and immediately the tears, you know, are, are because her nerves are still and the tears are still coming, but she's happy. See? And so, and you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, catch this line, that your joy may be full. Amen. I could have very easily uh, titled this sermon uh, today uh, on the fullness of joy. However, uh, I, 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 that's kind of what I want to bring it down to today. So we find that people, you know, searching for meaning, people do that. It's a natural human tendency to search for meaning, for purpose, for happiness, and for contentment. I think about some, uh, some very fine-looking young people. They were Mormon by faith. And they were being interviewed by a Christian evangelist on the street. And he was, um, he was just asking them about eternal life. And, you know, you may have, you may have seen it. I subscribed to his channel. He's got very good ways of approaching people one-on-one. -on -one. And he says, I, you know, imagine I've got a knife in my back. I've got three minutes to live. What can you tell me? I don't want to go to hell. I'd like to go to heaven. What can you tell me? And they said, well, you know, that depends. He goes, i got two and a half minutes left. What can you tell me? Well, we don't really believe in a hell. Oh, my goodness, I'm down to two minutes. How do I get in heaven? Okay, you don't believe in a hell. How do I get in heaven? Well, you know, there's going to be works. But I thought Jesus said I couldn't get there by my works. I'm down to a minute and a half. Help me. Please don't let me die. And they're all, you know, they're, they're taken back by this sudden uh, approach. And, and, you know, it was sad because... I found out, you know, as, as they were testifying that they, first of all, they don't really believe that anyone goes to hell, which is contrary to the Bible. And, the, and we find that they pretty much think, feel that everybody goes to some level of heaven and the level of heaven you get to go to it will depend on the works that you do. And so you can earn your way to a level three a version of heaven or if you really go all out you get a version a level six and you might get I don't know how many levels they even have but the upper echelon level put, puts you up there and you become like God himself you become a God and then you go off and you know and and pioneer your own creation and world and the cycle just goes on and goes on and goes on and goes on <clears throat> and I thought about that and I'm not here today to take such exception to that, you know, um, I, I, I saw, I, I'm, I'm speaking about the sadness that I felt in, in thinking about these poor people, what a sad awakening they're going to have on that day. I, I saw a documentary, it was actually a very moving documentary, I would even recommend it, um, it Possibly, 
I would, but it was uh, by a, a Grammy award-winning artist. <clears throat> I'll reserve his name for now, but he's <clears throat> won 19 Grammys. He's the most decorated, has the most, sold the most gospel music of any gospel singer and artist in history. And, you know, and, and, and there he was talking about the, the childhood, the painful childhood. It's very heartrending. And it had somewhat of a happy ending, but filled with sadness also. And it, and, you know, and, and, and there was some redemption that went on between him and his father and then him to his son. You know, broken people end up producing broken people. And, and he was dealing with this and coming to terms with it. And he'd been, you know, had quite a, 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 a absent, a daddy and absent really a mother and was adopted and, and, and really, it was heartbreaking. It was really heartbreaking. But what was more heartbreaking is that as he talked about his Christianity and he talked about Christ in such glowing words like you and I might would talk about the Lord. And then he goes into his anguish. And, he's, he, and then the anger comes up and he says, I've spent my whole life, you know, trying to figure out who. And he, he literally utters a common street vulgarity, who the blank I am, and he stops with forming the first letters. And his wife just, don't say that, you're on camera. And you realize, my goodness, that what I'm seeing is not even the real him. And, and, then, and then a little while later, he's actually, they, let, they put it on the documentary, and he says, I can't, I can't see how in the H-E-L-L people can think. I'm thinking, I thought you were a Christian. Now, I'm not here to even condemn that artist. Uh, you know something? Because Brother Branham talks about misinterpreted theology. And he says, you know, women say, they read the scripture about cutting hair and say, well, my pastor said that, that I don't have to follow that. And Brother Branham said, he'll suffer for it in the regions beyond. So I can see why they hope desperately William Branham was a false prophet because if he wasn't, they're doomed. And, and, and I'm not even really trying to come down and I, I felt sorry for this musical artist. Uh, and and I, I felt sorry. You know, I mean, I, I thought to myself it was ironic. Because when you think about Brother Branham, because what they have saw is such a misrepresentation. They've not just heard misinterpreted theology. They've not only maybe not heard the message of there. Like Brother Branham said concerning Jackie Kennedy. He said, but you know, maybe she never heard one of my messages. Maybe if she would have, things could be different. I, I, that, that made me glow inside I thought what a wonderful thing for Brother Branham to say and you know because you don't ever want to take hope away and I always say as long as Jesus is on the throne there's always hope you're never hopeless as long as he reigns so I and I'm trying to get to my real expression of my heart today so it's it's not that you know, I'm, I, that they just haven't maybe picked up a book and, and read something or heard a tape or came here. It's not that they just had some misinterpreted theology, but they are, they are living in a world where people have a form of godliness, 
deny the power. And they heap to themselves those preachers having itching ears that tell them what they want to hear and preach a version of the gospel that's not their gospel, but it's a version of the gospel they want to be true and they follow it. You know something, Brother Branham felt sorry for people under misinterpreted theology. He did. William Branham expressed that over many, many, many times. He was a man who loved people and it broke his heart to see people. And he would say, open your eyes, friends, go back to the Bible. And he would plead with them, go back to the Word. So, well, my pastor says, but what does the Bible say? And then God would come on the scene in mercy and prove what he was saying. He was saying, now, if what I've said is the truth, and what he had said was, use your Bible, don't believe somebody preaching something outside of the Bible. And, and it broke his heart that people would still make that choice. And even, you know, the, the sister uh, Gladys, or not, or, uh, I forget her name. I think it was Sister Gladys who was there in Louisiana when Brother Branham is preaching, choosing of a bride. And, I mean, at the end, Brother Branham is just beside himself and the people are screaming and, and, and he's saying, you know, you know, you know, you need to repent, and and and, he, and and the end is upon us, and California is going to go down, and and people are screaming, and I believe it was choosing of a bride there in Louisiana, and, but it seemed like maybe he was there in California because he's saying repent, Los Angeles. So I might have the sermon titles inverted, but it was all part of those last closing services of his life, and she, and and you can hear the audience. People are wailing and screaming. And Brother Branham says, you know, I'm not like this. I'm not given to this. He says, but I'm telling you, something's about to happen. And people are, and you know what? That, and, and they asked this sister. I remember Brother Biscoe told this years ago. He said, hey, I asked sister, I think it was Sister Gladys, said, what was the response? I can hear it on the tape, but I wasn't there. What was the response of the people? She said, half the people were on their faces on the ground screaming and crying and the other half and women with their high-heeled shoes clickety-clack their way out the door. Turned on their high heels and out they went. Said half the audience walked out immediately and half of them was on their faces screaming. How do you get that kind of disparity? You know, and Brother Brandon would... He felt very sorry for people who had, had misinterpreted theology. He expresses regret that Jackie and, and Jack Kennedy had maybe never got to hear one of his sermons. But you know something? That, that did not occupy William Branham's main feeling of sorrow. His, his, his primary sorrow wasn't that they hadn't heard a tape of his or that they... Uh, that, that they'd had a misinterpreted theology. But he said what, what made him the most sorry was he felt sorry for the sinner Amen. who saw the hypocrisy of the Christian church and saw no difference between them and himself, themselves. He says, that's the one I feel sorry for. I feel sorry for the sinner who looks at that and doesn't know what to think doesn't know what to choose trying to find eternal life and don't even know where to start why I could go to those Christians they're no different from me I drink with those guys 
That's the truth. I, I remember I got a buddy who's uh, in the message today, and he was, uh, he was a Catholic, and, and he started, his life started falling apart, and somebody said to him, well, you need to go see a priest. He says, a priest? He said, I drink with those guys. Well, why would I go see them? They got the same problems I got. He said, I need to find somebody that, that's, that's different. And he came across some believers, and his life was never the same. See, and, and so a lot of times we can say, you know, you know, oh, I feel sorry for those people. Brother Jason, you should have more compassion. Maybe they've never heard the truth. Maybe they've never heard the message. I don't deny that, but could I throw in a little bit of, of pushback a little bit for balance sake? Why would God teach someone algebra if they've already refused his ABCs? Why would he even do that? Would you do that? See? They, they, he, they, they've already denied, you know, you, you, you don't, just whatever you do, don't go impugning God. You cannot impugn God. He's always just, he's always righteous, he's always fair. So, you know, th- this is where we have gotten to in the world. And Brother Branham felt sorry for the sinner who looked at the confusion of it all and really, you know, didn't know what to do. Um, Brother Mark, let's have my PowerPoint. All right. I've only got a few slides to show you, and I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on this, and here's the the Christian psychology part. Actually, it's not even Christian psychology. It's uh, Aristotelian uh, psychology. Uh, This word has various spellings. It also has various pronunciations depending on what scholar is saying it. Uh, It's uh, eudaimonia or eudaimonia. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I prefer eudaimonia. That's the one I've heard most commonly. And it it basically is happiness according to the Greeks. All right? Now, we read Jesus declaring to us in our scripture in John 16 that hitherto you have asked me nothing in my name, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. All right, now just stick with me for a minute. All right, so, whoops. So, eudaimonia is a term which comes from Aristotle's work called Nicomachean Ethics and means individual well-being and happiness. It combines the prefix eu, meaning good, and daemon, meaning spirit. Socrates also delved into goodness and the virtues of knowledge, leading us to achieve the ultimate good. All right. So the word eudaimonia is an ancient Greek word that appears in many philosophical texts. Historically, it has been translated as happiness. In philosophical context, though, it can mean wealth, prosperity, or good fortune. However, most modern historians claim that this is an inaccurate translation. Eudaimonia is not an emotion. It is, it is more a constant state of being. All right, so I, I just want that in your mind. So this is, this is wisdom versus faith. That's the pursuit of wisdom. And I'm going to break it down for you a little bit further. And I just ask for your patience because I really want to bring the comparison to you. You stick with me? 
So eudaimonia then is a concept from ancient Greek philosophy that refers in some cases to a state of flourishing or well-being or happiness that is achieved through living a virtuous life. In the philosophy of Aristotle, and, and I've read many of his statements, eudaimonia was actually in his mind the ultimate goal of human existence, all right? So he believed that by pursuing virtue and excellence in all areas of your life, a person could achieve a state of lasting happiness and fulfillment. Now, I'm all for the pursuit of excellence. Jesus was a a man who pursued excellence. He said, I do always that which pleases the Father, all right? So it's a way of life. Now, and there's an important point. So Aristotle was not just saying it's happy thoughts, see. And actually he believed that it was a way of life rather than just a momentary feeling of pleasure from, I don't know, some fortunate circumstance that you found yourself in or maybe some accomplishment that you had and you had that high of satisfaction. He's saying, you know, eudaimonia is more than that. According to Aristotle, virtue is the ability to reason properly and then act accordingly with, with that proper reasoning, which then leads you to true happiness. Now, this is all sensible stuff. I'm not up here condemning it. I'm going, yeah, pursuit of excellence. You know, you, you do good things. You reap good things. You have a purpose. You have a drive. Brother Branham had a bum come to his door that he fed him a meal. And Brother Branham's trying to ask him a question. Where are you from? Oh, here and there. Where are you going? Wherever. Well, where do you live? Wherever I hang my hat. Oh, come on, man. And Brother Branham was trying to say, you know, what's your purpose? And the man said, you know, I just, he didn't have one. And Brother Branham says, whatever you do, don't, just, don't be driftwood. Life is precious. It's valuable. Don't waste it. I promise you it burns so fast already. Your life passes by at nuclear speed. It's just here today and gone tomorrow. You're just a little vapor. You appear for a little while. And then like, a, like, a, like you can look in the sky. I preached years ago on a vapor trail. I can look in the sky and I can see, you know, contrails from jets that have passed over. I don't see the jets. They're already gone. But I can see where they came from and I can see where they went to. Because the the one that's the most dispersed is the oldest and the one that's still tight is where they vanished into the horizon. So, you know, what kind of trail are you leaving behind when people, when you're gone and they see your life? Are they going to say, are they going to look at your life and say, he's in heaven? How do you know? Because that's the way he went his whole life. He moved toward heaven. See? So, so it was the, it's it's a noble thing. But, but it falls short Wisdom versus faith, wisdom of man, though it has many noble endeavors, like Brother Brandon would say when Jesus rose. He said there had never been a man like him. Brother Brandon said there had been many good men. There had been many good men who died for a good cause. But there had never been a man, a good man who died for the greatest cause and could lay his life down and then pick his own life back up again. That had never happened. See? So... So in Aristotle's view, that's, that's the way to get yourself to true and lasting happiness. Buddhism has some, similars, some similarities 
Uh, you know, in Buddhism, there's the idea of enlightenment, you know, which involves letting go of, of, of attachments and desires to where you achieve an, an inner state of, uh, of inner peace and inner wisdom. In Hinduism, there's the idea of something called moksha, which is the liberation from the cycle of rebirth and suffering. And you say, well, are, are, you know, there, there's, there's always the tree of knowledge is a tree of good and evil. You understand? That's the, that's the catch. It, it, look, it can look good. Say, man, that's pretty sensible. We all desire that. But as Brother Brandon would say, there's no way to achieve that only through Christ. Amen. It's the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. This is why a just God will raise the heathen up in the millennium who never heard the gospel so that he can have a chance, see? So, so, so this is Aristotle's view and, and, and his, his protégés. It was their view and, they, and you can see it in, in that kind of um, Greek uh, wisdom, you know? So, so we find that Jesus, on the other hand, would say that true happiness comes from a relationship with God. Something Aristotle didn't include in his formula at all. You just need to be a good person and and excel in wisdom and knowledge and you'll have, and that'll be the most satisfying life you can ever have. You know, the world is your oyster, go get it and, and you'll have a happy ending. And that's just not true. So Jesus comes along He's offering a completely different way that that true happiness only comes from a relationship with God. Though virtuous behavior, sure, just like Aristotle says, it's all about virtuous behavior. Great, that's awesome. Jesus also preached virtuous behavior, but not just any virtuous behavior. It's a virtuous behavior that is inspired by faith in God. That's the only real virtuous strength that that can make you acceptable in the beloved. It's not that you win after wisdom. Wisdom versus faith, faith wins every time. See? So for Jesus, true happiness is found in surrendering to God's will and living a life then that reflects God's love and God's grace that is taught in his word. This is why the first and great commandment is to love God, make him the center of your life. He's your everything. And then your life will be a life of grace that you'll live among fellow men. And then you will be uh, in the perfect will and plan of God. And that's virtuous. And then by that you give virtue to those around you. You don't weaken their faith by causing confusion by by quoting this but living differently. You're harming the world. Brother Branham was so adamant about that that he said, if you're not going to be a Christian, stop calling yourself that because you only make a confusion. You're harming your fellow man. You're not helping him. I don't care how many hospitals you build for him. And how many uh, bread lines you put him in? You're, you're harming him because you're, you're, you're not, you're the greatest thing you can do. 
I, I said to the group in Swansea, I wanted to repay their kindness to me. And I got up on Sunday and I said, you know, the greatest thing, I, I want to somehow repay you all. You've been so kind. My accommodations, the pull on the word has been so wonderful. And I'm driving to church today and I thought, Lord, what can I do for these people to show my gratitude? And I thought to myself, and I said this to them, I said, I thought to myself, the greatest thing that I could do for you would be to grant you eternal life. However, I don't have that kind of power. It's not mine to give. That would be the greatest thing I could do. But since I can't do that, what I can do is give you that which will lead you to eternal life. I can do that. I can give you the word. And that's far better for you than if I give you $50 or $5,000, see? So, so we find then that, that you know, Jesus taught that it's a life that reflects God's love and God's grace as it's taught in the word. Otherwise, you're harming the world. Aristotle and Jesus were two, for sure, two of the most influential men that's ever lived in human history. We, we built our whole society today on Aristotelian wisdom and Greek, Greek knowledge. And, uh, and so... Aristotle and Jesus being two influential figures who have literally shaped the history of philosophy and religion and both of them uh, have offered their viewpoints on what is eudaimonia, meaning happiness or well-being or as Jesus would say, that your joy may be full. However, However, their views differ significantly in terms of what constitutes these qualities and how they can be achieved. For Aristotle, he felt that eudaimonia is the highest human good and the ultimate goal of life, man's wisdom, and the practice of moral behavior, see? So, and, and, and as I've said, it's, it's not just a state of mind, but it's an activity. Aristotle actually believed in hearing, recognizing, and acting on his wisdom, Amen. see? So he defines virtue as a disposition to act in a rational and excellent way and to be balanced in your actions, rejecting rashness. Aristotle distinguishes between two kinds of virtue. One he calls ethical virtue, which involves moral character and emotions. The other is intellectual virtue, which involves wisdom and understanding. This is, this is similar to Abraham Lincoln saying that if you declare something to be true that you don't actually know is true, then you have told a lie. And he said that, that's dishonesty at, at the root level because you've told something as a matter of fact when as a matter of fact you don't know what you're talking about. See? And so he, he, Aristotle had a high belief in ethical virtue, morally and intellectually, which involved wisdom and understanding, showing you how to live a moral life and a life of character. He argues that the highest forms, it's okay? He argues that the highest form of intellectual virtue is theoretical wisdom. Now we're coming to where Brother Brown preached wisdom versus faith. He, he argued that intellectual wisdom was the highest form of intellectual virtue, theoretical wisdom, which consists of contemplating the most noble and divine things. Therefore, he concluded 
that the most eudaimoniac life is one that is, to, that is devoted to philosophical or scientific inquiry while also practicing ethical virtue and enjoying other goods such as friendship, pleasure, and honor. But for the, the most radical teacher the world has ever had, for Jesus Christ, true happiness, real contentment, and, and the fullness of joy are not worldly or human concepts at all, but they are a divine gift and a promise from God. And if you achieve them any other way, you went around, you, you didn't come through the door. And Jesus gives that parable. Somebody crawled in with their Aristotelian wisdom and got thrown out. See? So it's not something, according to Jesus, it's not something that can be achieved by human effort or reason. It can only be achieved by grace and by faith. Jesus teaches, contrary to Aristotle, that things are not at all dependent. Hear me, hear me, hear me. This is a big point. Oh my. And I know you're paying attention. I'm just getting excited. Jesus teaches that these things are not at all happiness, contentment, the fullness of joy, eudaimonia. Jesus teaches that they're not at all dependent on external circumstances or possessions. But, but it's based on one thing, your relationship with God and obedience to his will. Oh, I could, that way I could dismiss. We go home. That's enough for you for the day. It's nothing to do with your accomplishments or, or winning the blue ribbon. It's not about how many, how many zeros are in your bank account or how your education is. That, that's wisdom versus faith. Choose faith. Jesus defines them as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, which can be summed up in those two commandments. Loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not, as we said, two different things, but the latter is the result of loving God fully. He also, Jesus actually, in his, in his teaching, sets down on the mount one day and goes into teaching of parables, and he starts, to, we, we call it the Beatitudes. See? And so in, in the Beatitudes, which describe, now look how contrary this is to Aristotelian uh, eudaimonia. Jesus in his Beatitudes, he describes the qualities and attitudes that lead to the fullness of joy. For example, he says that those who are poor in spirit, meek, merciful, Pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness sakes, for righteousness sake, those are the blessed ones, and those are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, he concludes that the most fulfilled and joyful life is one that follows him as Messiah, 
follows him as the son of God and even follows him in the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death while also at the same time serving others and seeking God's kingdom above all else. Wisdom versus faith. Make your choice today. Make your choice, young people. You're headed for a youth camp. Make your choice now. Don't wait two weeks from now. Aristotle's view is based on his rational and his empirical investigation of human nature and reality, whereas the Lord's view is based on his revelation and authority as God incarnate. Who are you going to follow? Aristotle's view emphasizes human autonomy and excellence, while Jesus' view emphasizes divine grace. Aristotle's view aims at achieving happiness in this life, while Jesus' view aims at at attaining happiness in the life to come. Hallelujah! That's the one I'm interested in today. So my my sermon today, too, if I were to be preaching to Aristotle himself, had I lived back... there, I would have, my sermon would have been that true and lasting joy and happiness. It's not something that can be attained through external means like material possessions or, you know, worldly success. And, but rather, Aristotle, I would say it comes from within. It comes from spiritual growth. It, it grows one's character. It is the cultivation of the life of Christ within you. As Jesus said in Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is within you. So the fullness of joy is a spiritual reality, not a psychological one. You'll never get the fullness of joy on a college campus instruction. I'm all for pursuing excellence, but just know that. I don't care what you ever achieve in this life. The fullness of joy is not going to be how many zeros are in your bank account. That's not where it comes from. The fullness of joy is not how many likes you have and clicks you have. It's not, that's not where it comes from. That is so shallow, so flimsy. Life moves by so quick at the speed of light. This is exactly why that... This is exactly why, and you've heard me teach on this before, that when Jesus comes there in Matthew 16 and he says to them, who do, you, who do men say I am? They said, well, some Jeremiah Elias or one of the prophets. He said, well, who do you say? They said, well, you're Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed art thou, Simon. See, blessed. And, and, and Dr. Zodiates in his, in his lexical aid always took exception to that being translated as happy or fortunate. He says, not that. It's not, blessed in the Greek doesn't mean happier for, that's Aristotelian influence. That's what they think of. Blessed means happy and fortunate, you know, but, but, but real, the fullness of joy isn't, isn't based on external things. It's not based on accomplishments or possessions. It's based on a surrendered life that, that lays its life on the cross beside of Christ. And is willing to say, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. So, so it, and, and Dr. Zodiates always took exception to that. He says, what it literally means is possessing the characteristic of deity. I thought, I wonder if you ever heard Brother Adam say a seed gene. 
Because that's exactly what he's saying that word means. Simon, this is how you recognize me because we have a common father. We're kin. This is how I say, and thou art Peter. This is how I know who you are. That's how you know who I am. That's why nobody can shake it from you. Because it's not, it's not in wisdom. It's, a, it's an identity based on your inheritance, based on a gene of God. I'm here to tell you something, friends. I don't know. The world can identify as this and identify as animals and identify as the opposite gender. I identify as a spiritual being having a natural experience. I identify that I came from God. I'm going back to God. I identify that we're kinfolk and he's my father. How do you know? Because I love his word and it consumes my life. There's no other pursuit worth anything besides that. Oh, my. So, so from the perspective of a humanistic view of Aristotelian wisdom, a knowledge of Christ then, you know, if Aristotle was looking at, at that verse, he would say, as many Greek scholars, as Dr. Zodietes Dr. Zodi said, they misinterpret it. Aristotle would do that. He would look on it as happiness or he would look on it as being fortunate. But from the perspective of revelation of the Spirit, it's much higher. See, it represents an identity. Oh, my friends, I am not here. I'm going to close today. I'm not hardly got, hardly got going in this sermon. I'm going to stop. I want to just make this statement. Brother Anthony, come bring your team. I am not here, and I hope you are not here, to chase contentment or riches from a broken world. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Why don't you stand with me? I want, you, I want to say this again. I've got three lines I want to give you. And I'll try to stop. I'm not here to chase contentment from the world. I'm not here to chase riches from this broken world. I my whole life is dedicated to one purpose and that is laying up treasures beyond the stars. Someday, I'll be drawing benefits from them as I sail right past them same stars. Friends, you can't imagine what's just on the other side and we are so close to it. We are so close to it. I'd I'd need at least another hour or maybe an hour and a half to finish my sermon, so I'm not going to attempt it. We are so close. Bow your heads with me. Lord, I promised you I would just... I determined, Lord, by your permission that I would go as far as I felt to go and when you gave me the nudge, I would, I would just stop. 
so much more to say, so much more I desire to say. But I pray, Lord God, that enough was said today, and I believe it was. That it, 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 if it doesn't do anything, Lord, it was in a very provocative way to, to provoke people to thinking. That's, that's what preaching does. If it's successful, it provokes thought. It provokes introspection. And, and, and in that sense, it's always to be provocative in that way. It's not just, I'm not a, just up here as an information source. I'm not an AI and I'm not, a, not here just to, as a newsman. I, I'm here to provoke people to thinking deeply. A sermon is successful no matter its content, no matter how long or how brief it might be. Its success is based on the fact that does it get people to think on their ways? Lord, we saw such an astonishing display of that last Wednesday night. And we had a brother who just preached. I don't even know if he preached 30 minutes. And one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another came forward for prayer. Why, Lord? Because as our brother said, I just, I just preached what the Lord gave me, and it worked. It, it, it didn't have to be hours long. It worked. He, he didn't have to run all over the building and have, and have stage presence and lights and, and pyrotechnics. It worked. It reached the heart of people, and they had a response to the Word of God. I pray for such a response today. Lord, the altar is always open. People are always welcome to come for prayer. That's any time. Anyone can come today for prayer. But if no one comes, I will gauge, Lord, the success of this service just knowing that this has caused people to pause and think deeply. Go back. and Maybe now you, you'll have an interest to go back and hear God's prophet preached wisdom versus faith. They are millenniums apart, wisdom and faith. One is so human. It has good because it's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. It has good embedded in it. But it's a trick. It's a trap to keep them from the real. And Brother Branham said, why would you take a substitute when the heavens are full of the real? Why would you just take human philosophy, however brilliant it may sound? Why would you accept the agenda of the world rather than give your whole life over to the one who has built the next one and has a spot for you there? Oh, Lord God, I pray you'll move on hearts young and old today. I commit it to you now. In Jesus' name, sing Brother Anthony. He's already said that I would. Side me in heaven. 
God bless you, friends. You can be dismissed in Jesus' name.
Make sure we have all team members in, please. He was beside me, and heaven is in my view. Oh, I want to make it Amen. God bless you. Appreciate you all staying around. Amen. Praise God. We want to just take a few minutes to have...